wow, I'll, I wiggle my finger to like evil glee. And I'm like, Ooh, we're not evil. Calm down. Bro. Put those hands away. <laughs> Whoops. Um, Hey guys, here's what's coming up. Next week on February 22nd, we'll be talking about our five finger challenge. One book for every one of the five fingers on your hand. Then on March 1st, we'll be doing our book review of Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, which was our February buddy read. And if you haven't read it yet, it's not too late to go pick it up before the episode drops. Now on with the show. Welcome back to the Book Life Podcast with your host, myself, Mo, and my best friend, Abby. Tonight, we are going to deep dive into another Terry Pratchett book. So we love Gar's Gar's, which was one of our buddy reads, and we both decided we needed to read the second book called Men at Arms. So tonight, we are covering this book, which is the second book in the City Watch arc. The first book that I just mentioned was Guards Guards, and the next book is Feet of Clay, which I've already started. Abby, have you started Feet of Clay yet? I have not, because there are, there are other books that you told me I needed to start first. That's true. I have it just kind of, it's one of those, like, casually on your phone kind of ones that you pick up because you don't have the other copies of anything else with you, so you read that one instead. Oh, gotcha. It's one yeah, of I have the actual physical book for that. Ah, I don't. This is... So if you follow along Terry Project's books, this was published as book number 15. But as with all of his books, because there's a crap ton of them, it really doesn't matter what order you read them in because he does a really good job of making each story a standalone. So he features reoccurring characters a lot of the time. So if you are like, wow, after you listen to our summary and you're like, I need to go read that. You should. Even if you haven't read Guards, Guards, that's fine. This one was great. In your opinion, Abby, was this one funnier than Guards, Guards? I felt like it was funnier. This one actually was funnier than Guards, Guards. Right? Like, I found myself laughing out loud every couple of pages. And there were several times where I had to physically stop reading because I was laughing so hard. (laughs) Not only that, folks. She found herself compelled to send me random quotes from this book. She's like, this is so funny. And I'm like, yes, that's why I've read it. Oh, my gosh. So, guys, my copy of this book, I was devouring it. I was having a great time. And we have a puppy. And this puppy is not going to be a small dog. And he decided to get up on the table and pull my copy off and take it to his cage and start chewing it up. And I was so devastated and so upset that I literally went out that day and bought myself a new copy at a bookstore. <laughs> that sounds weird <laughs> if it was for her to go finish this book. Ooh, I'm glad that puppy is still surviving puppyhood with you. I don't know if I could have uh, handled that very well. I'll be honest. The only reason I kept my head together is because I knew I was going into town where there was a bookstore that would probably have it. And I'm like, Deep breaths, Abby. You are going to get a new copy, and you are going to finish it today. Because <laughs> I was—that's how close I was. I was like, I can finish this today. I want to finish this today. I have to have the copy today. Yeah, and you will finish it today. <laughs> and I did. I finished it that day. <laughs> my God. Uh, a different fun fact that's better than a puppy destroying your book. My husband has read this book, and he's read *Feet of Clay* now. 
it tickles me when me and my husband read the same kind of books because he's more of a horror fan and he's been reading a lot of Stephen King and Joe Hill books. And I'm like, you're reading Terry Pratchett? I'm reading Terry Pratchett too. And it makes me happy. You two are so cute. James would never read these books. (laughs) (sighs) James doesn't know what he's missing, man. My husband, for those of you that care, does not do fantasy or sci-fi or anything of that ilk. He is a autobiography and history person. And I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I like those two things, but I also like books. Yeah, I like historical fiction. And that's almost where we sort of meet in the book liking area. But, you know. <laughs> um, I just got in, informed that my husband actually prefers Terry Pratchett. That fantasy is his wheelhouse, with horror mystery as a secondary. Your husband is a smart man. I know. All right. Summary? Yes, Abby. Jump into the summary. The city of Ankh-Morpork is a place where being an assassin is considered a trade for the genteel, and every trade from beggar to clown to wizard has a guild. We return to the Night Watch to discover new recruits, a dwarf, a troll, and a woman of all things. A captain getting ready to marry and retire, to become a lord if you can believe it, and a corporal carrot who has no idea of the plans a certain noble assassin has in mind for him. To make matters even more worrisome, there is a new danger on the already dangerous streets of the city, a weapon that can kill like nothing seen before. Can the Night Watch track it down and unmask its wielder before he or she strikes again? I don't know. Can he or can they? I guess really is they. I guess if you want to know, you better read the book, huh? Right. So <laughs> the character cast is pretty similar to Guards Guard. Of course, we're going to have Vines, captain of the Night Watch, who is soon to be married to Lady Sybil. Lady Sybil, who is the richest lady in Akhmapur. And she's a lady with a capital L, by the way. Don't forget the lady with the L. Who enjoys raising swamp dragons and is now planning on taming Captain Vines. We have Carrot, a sweet young man with a gentle disposition who knows how to get the job done. He was raised by dwarves, and despite looking nothing like one, because he's super tall and has red hair, still considers himself one of them. We are also see Constable Nobby, the, a reoccurring character from Guards Guards. He is still as questionable as ever. Sergeant <laughs> Colin, another reoccurring character from Guards Guards. And he just wants to go home and write notes to his wife. And he's not quite sure about the new direction of the guards. Because, Abby, who are the new recruits that we're introduced to within Minute Arms? We have Lance Constable Cuddy. He is a dwarf. We have Lance Constable Detritus, who is a troll. And we have Lance Constable Angua, who is a small female human. And it should be noted for this book that dwarves and trolls do not get along. They hold a very long grudge. And the two species pretty much fight whenever they meet. And it's kind of interesting because it's a large theme within the book. And I actually enjoyed, I don't know why, but I enjoyed the interaction between the dwarves and the trolls. Because it was just so over-the-top ridiculous that you're just kind of like, this is so funny. You know what I mean? Yes. (laughs) I liked that it was such a big part of the book and that it was brought in as a, oh yeah, by the way, this is a conflict between a species kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
And the reason why Sergeant Colin doesn't like the direction of the guards because they basically were told, hey, we need to diversify your department. And they brought in all these new people. And he's like, mm, I don't know about this. I don't know about this at all. Yes. So the reason they have a door patrol and a woman is because they were forced to have more representation. <laughs> and it's pretty good. I highly enjoy all the dynamics that came with the new characters. I thought Terry Pratchett did a really good job keeping the same feel of Guards Guards while still bringing in new people, which I feel like can be hard when you expand your cast of characters. Oh, for sure. But I'm very glad he did expand the cast because as much as I like the original core ones, it's also a matter of it can get stale. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I really liked the new characters. I thought they brought fresh intrigue. (laughs) I was kind of disappointed in the fact that Lady Sybil took a lesser role in this in these books because I loved her in Guards Guards and I'm like I need more Lady Sybil and more dragons please yeah I was kind of surprised that she had such a small part but at the same time the reason she was such a big part in Guards Guards is because of the dragons Mm. and since there were fewer dragons involved in anything in this book it's logical that she didn't show up as much I personally would have enjoyed just some wedding preparation scene with Lady Sybil in the middle of everything as Terry Pratchett would have described it if that makes sense like I think it would have been fun to hear how Terry Pratchett would have described the chaos of wedding preparation (laughs) right and I mean I understand like weddings take a hot minute and a lot of time so I know she was busy and she could not be as involved this time oh for sure I just I would have enjoyed a scene like that if he had added it I know I think it would have been hilarious definitely I'm, I'm thinking I'm like I wonder if Terry didn't write it because he didn't feel like he had the expertise to write the scene or if he was like let's not get on too many tangents because let's be real he goes on a lot of tangents about a lot of random crap That's true. All right. Well, we gave you the summary, the characters, and we already gave you some fun facts about Sir Terry Pratchett. Don't forget, he's been knighted in our last episode for Guards Guards. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about our favorite characters and favorite scenes and break down the story, but we're going to drop all the spoilers because it was super good and we got to talk about it. We'll talk to you in a minute, guys. These days, more authors are including mental health content in their books. But do you ever wonder how accurate some of this stuff is? Or do you ever read something where you know the author just gets it? I'm Elise. And I'm Priscilla. And we are Novel Feelings, a podcast where we discuss mental health issues in fiction novels. We are psychologists and book lovers, and we have a lot of opinions. So look for Novel Feelings wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your show. Welcome back, guys. And remember, this half is spoilers. So if you don't want this book spoiled, pause right now, go read it, and then come back and talk to us. All right, let's start with our favorite characters. I'm excited. Tell me about your favorite characters. All right, I'm glad you asked. I was waiting. Okay. <laughs> so, my favorite character in this book, I think he's one of my favorite characters in Gars Gars as well, was definitely Carrot. I love how he was in the forefront of the majority of the book. Okay, have you seen Schitt's Creek? I have not. 
All right, guys. If anyone has watched this creek, I feel like Carrot is just like Ted. He is so pure, so wonderful. He's the guy that you you want to have your back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I love how he takes charge of a situation without actually taking charge. He just makes everyone think it was their idea and that they want to do it. And also, you don't want to disappoint Carrot, so you better not. Carrot is one of my favorites as well. He just makes me so happy. So ridiculously happy. I know. I I loved his character growth in this one. Because in the first one, he's very much the bumpkin who came to the city. And in this one, he's finding his footing and he's really getting into city life and everything's going really well for him. And it's just, everybody likes Carrot. It doesn't matter who you are. You like him. He's just one of those people and nobody wants to disappoint him. And so everybody listens when he talks because everybody likes Carrot. Yeah. Oh, he's such a good character. I love him. And what I really like is that as you talk about character growth, he also starts to have feelings. And he starts to have feelings for my other favorite character. I highly enjoyed Angua, and I loved her backstory. I loved... Okay, so, y'all, big spoiler, she's a werewolf, okay? I like Angua because she's a sweetheart, and she's a small but fierce, and she's also a werewolf, which I like that werewolfiness a lot. I like how she kept really kept her conscience, you know, while she was a werewolf and how she could be analytical and, you know, track down the case. And she did a lot of sleuthing with her nose. And that was delightful. Yes, that was. And I also I... like how her and Carrot have this cute little romance love story. I adored that little romance. When I saw it starting to bud, I went, <gasps> Yes, please. Right? Oh, that was so cute to watch. And then how he, how she died, and then he brought her back and cleaned her body up and then waited for the moon to rise. And he was just like, he, she walked back into the room and he was like, yep, I was hoping. I'm like, oh, that's so cute. And it made me so happy at the end. Yes, I was incredibly happy with them and their relationship throughout the book and uh, I I liked Angua just for like initially I was like yes small fierce woman I always like one of those as an addition to a book yes and then was I realized she was a werewolf I went even better well and one of the things I really enjoyed too which I kind of felt bad for um Carrot so they have a lovely night together and then he wakes up to a nice little sweet wolf and he kind of freaked out, and I felt bad for him in that aspect. I was like, well, sucks to be you, buddy. <laughs> I felt bad for both of them, because she'd obviously been burned before, so she immediately, so she didn't want to tell him beforehand, and his surprise did not lend itself to a good reaction from him, and so everything just went pear-shaped, and... <laughs> I felt really bad. I was like, no, they have to make up soon. Right. <laughs> of course. And then it escalated and everything hit the fan at the end of the book. And you're just like, what is going on? And then you had more feelings. Yes. I was very sad when she died. I was like, it, like I didn't realize she was going to come back. And so when she died, I went, she's just, she's gone. 
you gave me this incredibly sweet romance and then you ripped it away from me? What the hell, Pratchett? I was mad. I was like, excuse me. I'm like, "You you put her right back in the story. I was very upset. I was all for like that whole thing where he takes her body back to the guardhouse and cleans it up and then like he's cleaning the guardhouse and everything. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's grieving. This is how he's grieving. And then he just sits by the window. I'm like, you poor thing. And then she walks back in. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then of course I was happy because she was alive. But I'm still just like, wait a minute, werewolves come back to life? Yep. And then it's because the bullets weren't silver, but yeah. So that was a fun little roller coaster. <laughs> Definitely took you for a trip, but it also, that's partially why they're both my favorite characters. So Abby, you talked about Carrot, but who else are your favorite characters? My other favorite characters, I loved Cuddy and Detritus, the dwarf and the troll, because their dynamic, ugh, it was great. I love the trope of we hate each other because our peoples hate each other but as we go along on this adventure we suddenly are friends like we become friends and we would die for each other I love friendships like that and that's exactly what Cuddy and Detritus have because dwarves and trolls hate each other and so they start off hating each other and they're forced to go on patrols together and so as they're going through all of this stuff together they're slowly forming this friendship, and it's such a great friendship and a great dynamic, and I love it. Ugh. I love how when Detritus started getting cold and getting smarter because of it, Cuddy was the one there who connected the dots before Detritus could, and was like, you're speaking differently. You sound smarter. <laughs> hmm Just, ugh. I loved their whole dynamic, and just... That enemies to friends trope is one that I love seeing in fiction. Well, and I also loved, you know, after Tritus, when he had that, my brain got smarter and I did all this math, that Cuddy built him his own little thinking cap. Mm-hmm. I loved a thinking cap. That was freaking adorable. I was like, oh, yes, that's exactly what he needs. And, and then they became friends. Well, I mean, they were friends before, but like that just like solidified the friendship. Yes. Uh, yes. I just, I would die for that trope right there. And <laughs> Terry Pratchett gave it to me and I I was super happy. I know. I know how you are. All right. We should probably move on to our least favorite characters. <sighs> Abby, I gotta be real. I don't mind Assassin Guild. I don't mind Baker Guilds. I don't mind any other guilds. But, you know, I really did mind this clown guild that was introduced in this book. I did not like the clowns. <laughs> I thought, I didn't know what I thought. Like, when, when they were walking through the room with, like, all of their, not trophies, but, like, relics from past members. And you have all these jester masks. And everyone has to paint their mask on an egg and because that's their makeup. And I was like, okay, this is weird. I don't know if I like this. That's too creepy. <laughs> I I also hated the clowns when the first clown got introduced and it was let be known that there was a clown guild I just went oh god don't make me go there and then we had to go in there <laughs> and then we had to go in there yeah yeah talk about a terrifying guild I'd rather go hang out with the assassins 
I definitely was like, mm, mm, Mo doesn't like this. <laughs> the assassins are better. And that's that's saying a lot. Yeah. It, like, in real life, I don't have an actual problem with clowns. Like, I'm not scared of them, but I don't particularly like them. I'm, I'm very neutral about clowns in real life. But the way that this guild got described, I just went, nope. And the head of their guild sounded like the most terrifying clown ever. Right? In that all-white suit with the white face pin, I was just like, oh. He sounded like a terrifying clown. And I just went, I never want to meet you. Ever, ever, ever. I, know, I was like, I'm good. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, so. I'm right there with you on the clowns. Hated them. I also did not love the, because you said Assassin's Guild. I didn't like the Assassin's Guild leader, Crux. I know he's an assassin and everything, and I know he's possessed by the gun, but he was just kind of, I don't know if I want to say spooky or scary or slightly terrifying, but he was like killing them. Unsettling? Unsettling. He was unsettling. Not as unsettling as the head of the clown guild, but he was unsettling as well. And he was, I don't know, he was just arrogant kind of a dick which i know that the assassins are all descended from royalty because one of the main characters or like the beginning character of the story was royalty who you know down nobility not royalty yeah nobility thank you i knew i got the word wrong but yeah no i didn't like gestapode so he was a sentient dog which sounds great but he was a little too extra and a little too crude i mean he was a dog i get that but i could have lived without him like, the whole dog cult thing and the crazy poodle crap, that, that part of the book didn't do it for me. Yeah, I had zero interest in the dog guild and guess both. Like, if you're going to give me a sentient animal, give me something about them that's charming or endearing or anything. Something, but man. he's just, I didn't like anything about him. There was just nothing I enjoyed. Every scene he was in, I was like, you're back again. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I appreciated was that his power persuasion. Yeah, I liked the concept of him. I just, I didn't like the execution of him. Right. Because he wasn't even, like, described as looking cute, you know? Oh, I know. So he didn't even have looks going for him. I'm with you. I, nothing. He did nothing for me, and I kind of hope he doesn't come back. Yeah, I hope he doesn't come back either. Anyway, Abby, those are my least favorite characters. Are there any that you did not like? Oh, just the clowns and guest boat. <laughs> clowns, worst idea for a guild ever. Yeah, hard pass. Alright. Well, since we are leaving least favorite characters, let's move into favorites. What are your favorite scenes that we ran across? I love every time Carrot showed his ability to be completely likable. And make everybody rethink what they were doing just because Carrot had asked them to stop. The first example in this book was when he stopped. There was a troll mob and a dwarf mob who were about to meet in the middle of the street. And the Night Watch went and Carrot just walked out between the two and started talking to them. And nobody wanted to go any further (laughs) because it was Carrot. Yeah, you don't mess with Carrot. You don't. I just, I loved every time he showed off that power because they make a big deal of it in a lot of different scenes in this book. And with like different characters noting each time how likable he is. 
and how easily he diffuses situations just by being himself. He's so just, he's so wholesome. He is. <sighs> and I also loved the scene where Detritus got cold for the first time and he was doing all that crazy math on the walls and everything. I, I loved finding out that he wasn't as stupid as everybody thought he was. I, I had a suspicion that I'm like, surely the trolls in this world. I mean, I'm like, really? Yeah. And I also really loved the storming of the Daywatch. There's a troll that was taken into custody, but everybody knew he was innocent of what they were accusing him of. And so trolls showed up at the Daywatch to basically be like, give us the troll back because WTF. And so the door show up because there's lots of trolls there. And so there's basically a giant mob outside the Daywatch, and the Daywatch guards are just like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) So I loved the whole Nightwatch showing up, and they start just drafting people from both sides, both trolls and dwarves, and they have to keep it even so that neither side gets mad. And they're just like, guess what? You're in the city militia now. You're in the city militia now. Oh, we have too many trolls in the city militia. We need two more dwarves in the city militia now. You two over there. <laughs> yes, I know. I highly enjoyed that. That whole scene cracked me up. It was great. It's just one of those things where, I don't know, it, it's just true Carrie Pratchett-ness. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Because, I don't know. Because you're like, this can't get more ridiculous, right? And then it does. And it keeps getting more and more crazy. And you're like, I like this. Thank you. I think one of the things I love about Terry Pratchett is all of the Discworld novels lean into the ridiculous, which is funny and makes you laugh. But at the same time, there's truth in that. Yeah. I could very easily imagine this scene with all humans and the humans being split down the middle somehow with some sort of difference and just... I can imagine the scene in today's world, and that it's both sad and hilarious. But that, that's a good book, though, because you were able to connect with it on a different level. Mm-hmm. I love it. All right, so what about you? What were some of your favorite scenes? One of my favorite was Nobby. Okay, so they don't have Vimes, because Vimes was basically decommissioned, and he was upset. But they have Carrot, and they have Colin, Nobby the dwarf and the troll and Angua. And they had to go get weapons because they had no weapons because the Daywash took everything from them. So they're like, okay, well, this sucks. So what are we going to do? We're going to go to the armory, essentially, where all of the weapons are kept, right? (laughs) And they get in and Carrot talks his way into all the weapons and then Navi starts ransacking the armory. And, you know, he comes out to a point where he's, like, dragging a freaking cannon behind him. Or, no, it's, like, it's called a fire cart. Pretty sure it was, like, a flamethrower cannon thing with, well, with water extinguisher. I think it was something crazy, okay? It lit things on fire. Yes, and Carrot was like, no, that needs to stay here. And Hobby's like, but we could use this. He's like, "Uh, really, you leave that here. But he's like, and Nobby's described as this ugly, little, weasley kind of guy, and he's just covered in weapons from head to toe. Like, no part of him is not a weapon at this point. And 
I remember all of them going, you really need all that? And he's like, yes, I need it all. And they're like, okay. <laughs> oh, that was such a great scene. I remember him being described as like tripping over the all the weapons that he was carrying and like losing a couple as he walked kind of thing. <laughs> yep. Oh, that was a great scene. Highly enjoyed it. And then basically what you mentioned too, when Latrius, when he gets real cold and he starts doing math and he goes from like simple arithmetic to pre-algebra to algebra to pre-calc to calculus to trigonometry and then he's going places where I have never gone and don't want to go and I was like oh my god mm-hmm. and then from that like we you know we see that friendship again where Cuddy makes him a thinking cap to keep his brain cooler so he can basically have that computing power because Terry Pratch is like, yeah, trolls are really freaking smart, but they can't live in the warm air, you know, the warm, moist city of Ankh-Morpork. They should live in the high in the mountains where there are rocks and where it's cold because their brains function when it's cold. Yes, I loved that bit of world building, actually. Right? Like, hey, this species is actually very intelligent. They're only stupid because their brains aren't functioning properly in this heat. Uh, I was pretty impressed with that. Such good world building. Oh, such a great world builder. All right, so I guess we have to talk about least favorite scenes. Yes, we do. I see we have the same one. We do. So, Cuddy dies. That made me mad. Because Cuddy doesn't get to come back. Yeah. I did not like that. I was very mad. I was so mad. That scene, I was like, are you going to make me cry, Terry Pratchett? Because you can't make me cry. You're a funny writer, you know? Mm-hmm. I know. I hate it. And I hate it that Detritus was the one that found him. I know. But it was meant to be like that, you know? I know, like, it's a good thing that Detritus is the one who found him, but at the same time I was like, oh, Terry Pratchett took one of my favorite tropes and killed half of it. I know. It did not. It did not please you. And then we had to walk through his funeral with them, too. That whole thing just, that killed me. I know. But the one interesting thing about the funeral is the fact that, so during this whole book, there's an underlying plot to move Carrot from simple guardsman into the proper station that he should be in because one of the... My very minor, as in very dead in the very beginning, was to Earth, and he un unearthed wow to Earth unearthed that Carrot was one of the last remaining nobility from the old King's line, and he had all that information. And the assassins, not King, the assassins guild leader, like knew all this, and Carrot was like, mm, not interested. Swipes all the paperwork buries it with Cuddy and he's like "Mm, no not gonna deal with that crap I just want to be a guard and to make the guards into an awesome you know like police force essentially and I I love that I love how he's like I'm I'm good thank you I don't want to be a king yeah I did appreciate that that's where the paperwork ended up but (sighs) I know it it was an ugly crappy scene all right so what other scene did you not like so you remember how I didn't like Gascapode and the dog stuff? Well, there was like this like sub subplot yes. where this was this crazy poodle, and we had to read like 
five or ten pages about this whole dog cult and how they had to overthrow their human masters and all this weird stuff. And then we had to chase through the city. And I'm like, what's the point of this? You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the whole sub subplot with the crazy poodle and all that nonsense was just... I'm not sure what the point of it was. Right. Except, I guess, to add more danger to the gas code storyline, I guess. I don't know. I have literally no idea. But since neither of us liked him, that obviously was not necessary for us, so... Right. Yeah. Felt very out of place. Yeah. All right, Abby, we have reached the end of this half of our podcast. Can you please give me your final thoughts for the evening? So I loved the sequel. I laughed so much more than I did with the first one. And I laughed with the first one, but this one was hysterical. And I'm super excited to get to Feet of Clay. Uh, It's a few books down on my TBR, so I'm not getting to it quite yet, but I will get to it. This one gets five huge stars. I'd give it six. In fact, I give this six stars. This is a perfect book. Um, and it's hard to be a perfect sequel. It is. I'm impressed that he made the sequel even better than the original. This is probably vying for the top spot as one of my favorite Discworld novels. I, I don't want to say that for sure, but it's definitely in the top three, I would say. Well, we have like... 40 more to go, so... Oh, good. I I guess we're going to find out. Someday, yep. We're going to be nice and old when we get to that final determination. <laughs> I think this is a solid five stars. I can't say it's a solid six. I've read a few other of his books that I've enjoyed more. Like, the book that really hooked me on Harry Pratchett's books in Discworld was Going Postal. I loved that book. I actually did not like Making Money, which is a sequel, but I am willing to read it again to make another determination of it. But this book was a great sequel, perfectly funny, enjoyable. I have, like I said, Feet of Clay on standby on my phone, so I'm ready to go. But, I mean, overall, I was really happy that I read this book. I'm very glad we read this as well. Well, perfect ending to a perfect book. I think we should just leave it here and... Say goodnight with those happy thoughts. Talk to you next week, guys. Bye! If you like what you heard today and want to help us spread the book love, drop us a rating on the app you use or share the episode post on your preferred social media. Everything helps! For a list of the books we talked about today, visit our community page on Facebook at The Book Life Podcast and search under Files. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under the same name. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at thebooklifepodcast at gmail.com. The song is Theme for an Unmade Anime by Katie Benoit from her album Dominique. You can find Katie on Instagram at K, the number 8, T, B E N O I T, and on Spotify under her name, Katie Benoit. Thanks for listening. Till next time.